Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. Hello and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. I'm your host, Wild Man Dan. And it's been a minute. And I'm sorry, guys. How do I do this again? But I got to give a shout out to the Wild Man, Ken. Brock Blades, shout out to Craig, the wild man, my email pen pal, and Vincent, the wild dad. Stand strong out there, you guys, uh, and a few other folks as well. I, I apologize for not mentioning you guys by name, but sorry for the delay. I lost, I lost it. I lost the consistency, but just got to get back in it, I guess. So I kept, I felt like I had to have some you know, huge comeback show, but I'm just going to do it. And it might, uh, might be a little rusty, but we'll get back in the groove. We'll get the conversation back on track and we'll see where it goes and see how it evolves. So I thought it'd be kind of, I just, I thought what would make the most sense is just to kind of give you an update on what I've been up to, what the business is up to. And then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. But just on the personal side, this last summer, man, it was like, I got really stoked on climbing again. I live like eight miles from El Dorado Canyon State Park, which is a world-class climbing area. It's kind of like the Yosemite of the Front Range here in Colorado. Just thousand, uh, I guess not a thousand, but like 900-foot cliffs. And it's I can ride my bike there in like 30 minutes. So another Dan, Danny and I, we were meeting like in the dark, four thirty, five in the morning, riding our bikes in and we'd climb like 900, a thousand feet, maybe 2000 feet, even depending on the day we would do these big link ups and I'd be home by like eight 30 in the morning, having already done this huge day. And I was actually on top of that doing like a little bit of strength work as well. So I'd might, I might do some calisthenics where I'm doing pushups on a monkey bar two like device, which dropping a little teaser there. Wink, wink. We'll do some work on that. We'll do pull-ups. Would lift. Would use the kettlebell. I finally put up 360 in my little garage space so I can just crank that thing out, which I've been really, really stoked on the last several months. Just adding that rotate rotational training back in on a much more consistent basis. I just, it's like the biggest thing you miss in training. I think it's just, everything is so North South. You get a little bit of lateral movement, but very rarely are you adding in that rotational element. So get some coffee here, but yeah, it's been a, I've been really psyched to be using 360 a lot more. So summer was really all about climbing, did some camping, did some backpacking, but basically is, as soon as September 1st hit, it was all about archery elk hunting, which I got to spend, I think I actually spent my most days out during archery season. I think I got like eight or nine days in and I had some amazing encounters with elk. I mean, opening morning, this kind of cold front had moved in. So it was, it was raining on and off the whole night and I, I slept in the back of my car, which was not a super awesome decision. Cause I'm just even though I'm not a tall 
individual. I just barely was just barely too tall to fit in the back of my little, uh, Hyundai Tucson. But, uh, so didn't sleep super well. A few other trucks pulled up before daylight. So I got out real quick, got ahead of these guys. And it was kind of like this misty, just like low hanging kind of foggy mist out. It's colder, still raining on and off and hiking in the dark. And it wasn't five, I wasn't five minutes from the car. I kind of pop out to this meadow, the trail kind of paralleled this meadow. I look over, there's like five cow elk just staring at me well within archery range. I think they were only like 50 yards away, which that's definitely a legit shot to take. And by the time, by the time I had, uh, knocked an arrow and kind of confirmed, realized what was going on, they'd bounced, but saw a few more that day and then mainly just saw hunters the rest of the day. But after that opening weekend, my next trip out hiked in early, I set up in this it's kind of like a ridge going up real. And it's man, the timber where I'm hunting it, there was this wind event that came through last year and it just, it knocked every, there was a bunch of beetle kill and it just, it's like, it's like a giant just took their hand and knocked over the forest. I mean, it's, it's almost gross. It's just so hard to move through. It's so thick, but it's also where the elk are. So kind of in this saddle on a ridge, so there's a ridge kind of running up the side of this mountain. And then the saddle is kind of this depression where like, it looks like a man-made trail. I mean, there's this super obvious trail going between these two parallel valleys where animals are crossing over. So I just sat there for, it was like 40, 45 minutes. I was just calling for elk hunting. You, it's kind of like this mouth read and you make oak sounds basically. And you can can really kind of play it up and act like this group of elk hanging out. And I was doing that just on and off for like 40 minutes, kind of starting to give up. And then I just out of my periphery, I see something big, like 30 yards away, moving through this timber. And again, it's so thick. It's very hard to see, but, uh, I quickly realized that it's a bull elk, which I, I kind of couldn't believe it. It's, it's the first time I'd really called in an elk like that. And I just I couldn't believe it actually worked. So I'm like, Oh baby, this is going down. So I knock an arrow and he's looking right. They, they want to believe so badly that you're an elk. He's looking right at me. So I, I'm able to kind of scoot up maybe five or six yards, hide behind a tree. I draw back, pop out. He's looking right at me and I kind of wait for him to turn. And I release the arrow as he's, kind of turning thinking he'd stop, but he ended up whipping around and I'm not sure if it hit a branch. I'm not sure if he just dodged it. I'm not sure if I wasn't looking through the peep correctly, but it was like a 27 yard shot, which is not far at all, especially with a compound bow. And I just missed clean left. So it was like a sickening feeling for like two hours. It was just, it was sickening. I was just, I had that adrenaline pump, but then I'd missed, I found the arrow. So was able to confirm. I didn't like get a bad hit and wounded an animal, but it was just such a bummer, but I just kind of chilled out for a couple hours and, uh, moved on. And actually I was able to call that same elk back in two more times that day, but he was just, he was too on edge after that. So just couldn't really get into a realistic or 
encounter an opportunity where I could actually connect. So that was the second time out. Then I had maybe, I think it was like eight or 10 days where I was home and, uh, just couldn't get that out of my head. So hiked in, went to back to that same area and just felt, just didn't feel like anything was there. So moved to a different area. It was only a mile or two away as the crow flies, but kind of across this valley. And just as soon as I got in there, there's just sign everywhere. It just felt elky. Sure enough, that night I kind of camped. There's this big, these big meadows and there's this kind of finger of timber coming into the uphill side of the meadow. So I kind of camped in this cluster of trees with the thought of in the morning I can wake up and I'm hidden. I can see if there's anything around me, you know, pretty much everything I could see would have been within archery range. But that night an elk comes into the meadow, just, it was like, it was as if it was just like running around playing. It was really interesting to hear and well hear cause it was dark. I couldn't see it, but I'm like, Oh man, he's not going to stay here long. And it's like this elk's run around jumping, just having a good old time. And then I could tell as soon as he smelled me, his just the sounds I was hearing just totally changed. And he bounced super quick. I'm just like, Oh no. So wake up the next day, poke around, not really seeing much. And, uh, I'm just kind of, it's middle of the day now. Maybe it's like 11 AM hiking across some meadows, kind of headed back towards my camp and going from a meadow into the timber and I hear something big get up like 30 yards away again, really close. I'm like, it's definitely an elk. So I get my elk call real quick and I make a sound cause I didn't think he'd seen me or smelled me, but he definitely had heard me. So he just was maybe a little nervous. So he got up, I made a quick bark and he immediately starts bugling at me. And that's the first time I've ever had an elk just that close bugling just it's they sound like these mythical beasts like it's just wild man so this this elk is bugling at me and i'm calling back and again it's kind of a steep hillside and it's just thick timber and at one point i just see his head and antlers pop over this down tree and i think i hesitated for just a second too long because i sprinted up there i hid behind the tree and when i popped up i just He'd, he'd gone and kind of disappeared in the timber, even though it was only like 40, 50 yards ahead of me and tried to follow him, but just ah, couldn't. So, but the good thing was I didn't really spook him. He just kind of lost interest. So went back to camp that night. And that night, that same elk comes out in the meadow and just is having a grand old time and bugling. And I'm just, he was a little farther away though. So he didn't smell me. I didn't kind of spook him that way. So I wake up in the morning, like an hour before sunrise and I bugle bugles right back. And he's close. He's like definitely within two, 300 yards max. So I have about an hour to legal shooting light. So I just, I get ready and just slowly start moving that way. And as it's, as it's starting to get that just first light, I bugle again. And he's like right there like a hundred yards or less. And it's, again, it's thick. I'm kind of in this little drainage, little Creek bottom with meadows and then steep mountainside coming out of that. 
And typically that time of the day, the elk are going from the meadows where they're feeding. They're going to move back up the mountain and go bed down during the day, kind of hide out, and then they'll come back out at night. So I knew he was going to want to be moving to his bed quickly. So I'm calling. He calls back. But as we're doing this back and forth, he starts moving up the mountain. He's not running away. Just he's moving. So I basically just drop my pack mark it real quick with my little GPS app. And then I'm, I'm, I'm like literally chasing this elk up a mountain. No joke. Just kind of power hiking, running where I could climbing over logs, falling into little like bog type, like wallow, like muddy wallow bog type things. Just trying to keep up with this thing. And, uh, I could smell him too. I could, I could tell if he was right above me and I could smell him, but every once every few minutes I'd call, he'd call back and we go up probably a thousand feet. And I'm just, I was wearing a down jacket. I was able to take it off real quick. So I didn't totally sweat myself out, but just going to the max of this mountain. And as we get higher up, the forest starts to get more and more open. And eventually we kind of hit the top of this ridge and I, Hadn't heard him for a few minutes and definitely hadn't seen him. So I just basically started calling like crazy and it's called raking. So I just pretty much take a stick and start beating like this little sapling to make, so it's what an elk does or a deer or a moose. They'll rub their antlers on a tree to either rub the velvet off. It's also kind of a sign of dominance or aggression. So I start doing that. I probably do it for 15, 20 minutes and he comes back. I couldn't believe it. But unfortunately he came underneath me or down slope and the wind was going down slope. So he was maybe 50, 60 yards away. And I tried to move in to get a shot, but by the time he'd kind of come directly underneath, caught the wind and bounced again. And that was the last time I saw an elk in September. So I think I had a few more days after that, but man, it was just... I didn't connect in September, but it was just the most, it was the definitely the most like legit close encounters I'd have during archery season. I learned a ton, you know, this is only really my second season out. I guess it's my third, third season out archery hunting. So I'm still learning a lot and, um, I'm super motivated for, I'm super motivated for next season. It's just, it's a long wait through winter and then spring summer rolls around. I get super psyched on climbing. So I think I need to focus a little bit more on just my archery game in general this, uh, this year coming up, but it was fun. And then so I had about a month off and I just got back from what's called second rifle season here in Colorado. I had a buck mule deer tag I'd gone opening day and mainly just saw hunters, saw some does. And I uh, just went back Thursday morning, woke up at 4 a.m., drove the two hours up, still had an hour before sunrise and kind of hiked over a couple ridges. And I was sitting up with my binoculars looking at this kind of sage flat and I see a buck pop out. It's like maybe 1,500 feet below me, 1,000 feet below me. And again, it's, it's big open country, like it's high Alpine mountains, but I'm down in kind of this sage. It's like maybe 8,000, 9,000 feet, but it's still mountain terrain, still 
there's like these little coolies, which are like, they're kind of like these steep cut out, like mini, mini canyons, I guess is the way to describe them. It's just where the erosion has cut out these real deep ravines. I think it's probably a better word. So I'm kind of sitting above one of those with a bunch of timber in it. I see this buck below me kind of go into that timber. So I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to, he's probably going to bed down there. I'll wait and I'll see him pop out. Cause I could see both sides and then I can make a play. So I'm sitting up there just for literally like hours. It's really warm out. It's like 60, 65 degrees. And this is like 8,000 feet in November, which is kind of wild. So I'm hanging out there and I'm just, every once in a while I look with my binoculars and then after a couple hours, I see this, like, I thought it was a rock at first, but then I see movement. And I'm like, that's a deer. And there's this buck just in the middle of the sage flat, just laying there. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, I couldn't believe I actually saw him. So I'm like, that's a buck. So I'm kind of, I'm trying, you know, it's at this time, it's only, it's early afternoon at this point. It's like maybe noon, one o'clock. So I'm like, is he just going to hang out there all day? Is he going to get up? So there was a ridge to the south of him where he was bedded. Again, where he is is flat, but then there's this little rise to the south of him where I could I could probably could have hiked like a, maybe a half mile, three quarters of a mile, done a big loop, been behind this little rise, crawled up, and then I would have had a pretty close shot, probably 100 yards or less. But I'm just like, oh, man, I'm uphill, like. I have good cover. I'm just going to hang out. So eventually he gets up and just kind of moseying around, like not really take a few steps and just is kind of feeding in the same area. And then he starts just slowly coming up the mountain slope towards me, just very slowly. And so by this time I'm like, all right, I'm going to make a move. So it's, there's, it's sage where I'm at, but then there's these big bushes and I could kind of move bush to bush. And I think I was far enough away still. He couldn't really see me and I'd kind of wait and see if I'd wait for him to put his head down or be looking the other way and I'd move up. So I finally get to like this, there's this one lone tree in the middle of this slope. It's otherwise just pretty wide open. And then the deer is about 350 yards down below me. So I get to this tree. I have like a perfect spot where I can look with my binoculars. I have a rifle rest. Like it's perfect. And at this point he keeps, he kept moving up the mountain. So I, I have a rangefinder. It's like a laser rangefinder. So I'd be ranging. It's like, it's like 330, 310, 280, 250. And once I hit 250, I'm like, Oh baby, this is, this is going to happen. So get a rest on the branch. And, uh, keeps coming closer and closer. I think he was at, this is where I kind of blacked out, but I want to say he was either 208 or 228. I can't remember exactly, but whatever the yardage was, it was definitely sub 230. So I set up, had the sights, everything looked good, pulled the trigger. As soon as I pulled it, it was obvious I'd hit, I'd hit him. And, uh, he only ran, he ran maybe like 10, 15 yards and then immediately beds down. And so 
I was trying to get, I'd racked another round in and had set. And then I just, I'd lost them in the sage. You just, they just kind of disappear. You know, the sage is only maybe two or three feet high, but when they bed down, they just totally disappear. So I'd lost them. So get out of my bed. I'm, I'm also like shaking with adrenaline at this point. So I need to like calm down for a second. So I get out binoculars. I could, I was hundred percent sure he hadn't just ran off. Cause I saw him again, run like 10, 15 yards, bed down. And, uh, so I get out the binoculars. I'm looking, I think I can see, I just see this like little, like silver Ridge sticking up. And then finally I see moving. I'm like, okay, there he is. And so he's facing the, he's facing the totally opposite direction, which is perfect. So I can sneak down. I get to like 130 yards, perfect shot, kind of quartering away slightly, throw my pack down. It was a little bit awkward to get set. So again, I'm, I'm downhill now. I'm laying prone. I'm on my stomach. Rifles rested on my pack, kind of braced against this sage bush. Perfect open shot, nothing in the way. Just had to kind of get everything set, get set, pull the trigger, jumps up, goes maybe three yards, and then is just dead. So it was that was such a relief because I'd, there's a moment where I'm like, oh no, I wounded this animal and then he, I can't see him. And it was just, oh, it's a, um, it's a relief when you see the, you know, hit the ground and just, it was quick and clean. So that's, that's what you want. So felt really good about that. And again, it was just, I pulled the trigger. I see it it's down, stops moving pretty much instantly. And, uh, I just laid there. I kind of like just, and just kind of lay there in relief for a few minutes, just was so high on adrenaline and then kind of coming down off that. And so I sat there for maybe 20, 30 minutes would look with my binoculars, make sure he wasn't getting up or anything like that. And, uh, then I slowly wake my, make my way down there and I can see exactly where the shot went right in double lung, quick, clean death. So I felt really good about that. And, um, I was looking, I was trying to figure out what happened with the first shot. And I look and I see the front leg is broken. Like, Oh man, that's strange. And then I look and notice both front legs are broken. So I guess what must've happened was that first shot was just low and it broke both legs. It's what makes sense. Why I only went 10 or 15 yards and, uh, just bedded down. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to say that out loud. It's like, you know, that first shot clearly wasn't perfect, but Fortunately, I was able to get down and get that kill shot very quickly and again, clean fast and minimize suffering. So it's just, uh, I think it's important to be honest about hunting that sense of like, there's the ideal of you want to do the quickest, cleanest, most, most ethical 
kill you can, but there's also just, you're out in the wild. Sometimes it just doesn't work out as you perfectly planned. So I think I just acknowledging that. And again, just being honest about it is, uh, I think important. So again, fortunately after that first shot, I was able to find him quickly and get that second shot and finish everything off quickly. So overall I feel really good about the hunt. Got the meat in the freezer, got a bunch of jerky and sausage coming and I've had, um, kind of the prime cuts are called the backstrap and the tenderloins have eaten quite a bit of that recently. And it's been, it's been really good. It's, it's interesting with wild game. It's such, it's such a dense meat because there's essentially almost no fat in it. Cause all the, the, the fat is all outside of the muscle. So the meat is like, it's essentially zero fat meat. It's so lean. It's so dense that it's, and rich. It's just, it's hard to eat a lot of it. You just, you fill up really quickly. It's interesting. So I've had mule deer pretty much every night since Friday. I wanted to jump back in here real quick. I didn't feel like I really spoke properly to the respect, the seriousness and the reverence and just this attitude I have towards hunting, towards taking an animal's life. It's, um, It's something that has actually been a very like humbling experience. I think it's definitely forced me to grow as a person. And I'll just remember, I remember the first animal I killed just walking up on it and just the feeling of just appreciation and thanks and just connection. It was, it was, it was almost like a spiritual experience, which I know to a non hunter, maybe someone that doesn't eat meat. I know that sounds like a total paradox or just doesn't make sense, but it's like you're, you're, you're experiencing like the whole birth life death cycle, all in this very intense moment in a beautiful environment with this beautiful animal. And you really, I just, I remember walking up the first time. And since that time, I've always, said, you know, thank you, dear. Thank you, elk. And, you know, touched it. And it's not this like, I don't know. It's extremely like joyful and exciting. And I do feel happy, but at the same time, there's this sense of loss and reverence and solemnness and even like sadness in a way. But when I get out of it, I think, and what a lot of people do and why I think it's a positive thing it's just this connection you get to the natural world and you really ultimately understand that kind of everything is connected and we are all a part of this bigger picture. And I'm not trying to say everyone needs to hunt or that it's better or anything like that. I think I just, what I do feel strongly about is just if you can get closer to your food that's going to be a, it's going to be a positive thing for your life. Whether that's, that could be as simple as like just buying local food. Maybe it's going to a local farmer's market. Maybe it's finding a local farmer or rancher or someone that has eggs. So you just, again, you're connecting to people. Those people are probably going to take care of your community better than 
you know, a, a bigger operation that's kind of hidden out there, if that makes sense. And whether it could be gardening, anything where you're just connecting to your food and putting in that effort and just really understanding to a deeper degree how everything is related and connected. It's that, like, The word I keep coming back to is this, this connection, which I guess, you know, maybe that's something that's just missing in this modern area that kind of got lost in the last few hundred years of going from that kind of hunter gatherer or farmer lifestyle to now where there is very distinct separations between where your food comes from, where you work, where you live, all these things where previously everything was a little more, uh, well connected. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to make sure I spoke spoke to that process, spoke to my mindset and attitude around hunting. And again, I just, what I would encourage you to do is whether you're interested in hunting or not, I think any way you can get closer to your food source or have a connection to your food source, whether that's again, through a local, there's something called CSAs, community supported agriculture, farmer's market, having a garden in your backyard, Whatever it is, I think it's going to have a positive impact in your life and ultimately the world and everyone else. So something to consider and we'll dive back in. Oh, and then I forgot about the pack out. So it was, it was this, I'm in this weird situation now where I've got the deer, got them down. I'm only like three quarters of a mile from a, a road, like, like a mountain highway basically. But on these highways, there's these game fences that are you essentially it's to keep animals from running into the road and just getting killed or killing people, getting hit by cars. So they have these fences along the highway that you can't really, there's not like gates very often. So fortunately there was a gate like three quarters of a mile away. The problem was my car was totally opposite direction. So by now the sun is going, it's dark now. I've gotten, the buck got it out, opened up so it could start to cool off. And as soon as the sun goes down, it got cold. So I have to hike basically like 1500 feet straight up this mountain. I'm exhausted. Get to the top, drop down into another valley, climb back up another face, which definitely wasn't as, it wasn't as high as the first one, but still going back up, get to my car. Then I drive around there's this little parking area at this gate, go through the gate, hike back to where the buck was. By now it's like nine o'clock at night. And my original plan was to just drag out the whole animal, which if there was snow on the ground would have been not a big deal. But as I was hiking back, there's those coolies again, these like ravines where the erosion, where the creeks are cutting out the erosion. So even though it's relatively flat terrain, there's these little can mini canyons every once in a while. So it's like, I'm just starting to get nervous about how to get this thing out. At one point I tried, I literally put the old deer on my back. So I'm like folded over like a 45 degree angle hiking with this thing in the dark with the antlers kind of like as backpack straps. And it just, it was stupid. If I would have fallen weird or like potentially could have gorged myself, it just was a bad idea. So 
keep trying all these different things. And eventually I'm just like, oh, I have to quarter this out. So what I did was I quartered out the animal, which is essentially removing the back hind quarters and the front shoulders. And then taking the back straps, which run along the spine, the tenderloins and all the other neck meat, all that. So I spent maybe two more hours quartering everything out, getting it all set. And then once it was quartered, I just was able to shuttle and do two trips back and forth to the car. By this time, it's like 1230 at night. It's like 19 degrees out. I'm covered in blood, exhausted. I've almost been up for 24 hours. And uh, I'm just like, I, I just wasn't in a camping mood. I would, have had to, I would have had to drive somewhere to go set up a campsite. It just... So I ended up driving home, getting home at two 30 in the morning. My, my wife wouldn't allow me in bed cause I'm covered in blood and deer. So I, uh, basically just camped out in the living room, got a few hours of sleep and then spent the next several hours in the morning cleaning up, had to clean the meat and, uh, took most of it. Again, I took kind of these prime cuts and then I took the rest of it to this awesome wild game butcher just down the road here in Colorado, they make, they'll turn it into sausage, jerky, burger, all this stuff. It's so good. It's definitely, it's expensive. I, I think it works out to like, it's like 15 or 16 bucks a pound. It averages out to, but man, you can't, can't beat that free range beyond organic meat. So so yeah, I'll pick it up this Friday and that kind of puts a wrap on hunting season for me, but it felt good to get meat in the freezer after archery season, just having so many close calls and not connecting. I just, I can't wait till next year. So that'll be, I think what I really want to do over the next year is I'd like to do an ultra run in the spring. So maybe, you know, something in the 30 to 50 mile range, maybe, ah, I don't know, hundred K is that's like 70 miles. I just don't know if I want to do that. 50 miles seem like just right. As far as like the training required doesn't totally take over your life and you can do it in a day and you can actually, excuse me, walk the next day. So I think something like that would be fun to do in the spring. And then Man, I'd really like to get in. I was threatening of doing it this last year, but I really want to get back on a big wall. I'd love to get back to Yosemite. So I'm thinking kind of like the year can play out into this kind of three-act year where it's like ultra run in the spring, big climb in the summer, and then focus on hunting in the fall. And then winter, winter's when <laughs> get all the work done. So on that note... Want to update you guys on just what's going on with the Wild Gym Company LLC. And again, it's uh man, I just appreciate anyone that's back stoic, that's backed Pocket Monkey 2. I appreciate your patience and understanding and honestly support. You guys have been super supportive and sometimes it can be scary to post these updates, but again, you guys are always supportive and I appreciate it. So we're doing our best and just want you guys to know that, but Stoics, we have warrior kits. They're in the warehouse. Kim has been taking the charge on 
backer kit, which I also under, it's just, it's not a super straightforward process in the sense of it's gotta be done. There's a lot of nuance to it in the sense of these different bundles, where you're shipping to the weights, all these things. And if you screw it up, it's just, uh, it's not going to work out well for anyone. So Kim's been doing an awesome job on that. She's taking the lead and one bottleneck now is just, it's communicating with Shopify and it's communicating with the folks at backer kit, which both are awesome, but it's just a busy time of year. So sometimes if Kim has to wait a day or two, that's just going to keep delaying things. But I will say we are super, super close to getting Stokes out the door. Thank you for your patience. And, um, I think the next update you'll see is when that smoke test goes up, excuse me, when that backer kit smoke test goes out and, uh, we'll get stuff on the road to you. So that's going down pocket monkeys. Let me pull. I just want to be accurate with my dates here. I just got an update on pocket monkey on a shipping timeline. So stand by pocket monkey. Okay. This is from the manufacturer. Tentative completion date for pocket monkey two is November 19th. So I'm recording this on November 10th. So that means pocket monkey two, the manufacturing process is estimated to be completed November 19th. And, uh, that's great. So once they're done, we'll get them on a container. We'll get them on the water. The journey across the water is the same. It's just the problem is the ports have these crazy traffic jams. Now it's wild. So hopefully we'll kind of, maybe those will, hopefully those will clear out and we can get those maybe a little faster than anticipated, but the manufacturer is saying they're anticipating those to arrive in January. So I'd expect to start shipping PM twos into January or February. So a little bit longer there, but it's such a bummer because it really was, we'd really set everything up where we'd paid way in advance. We'd started all this stuff way in advance so that we could fulfill faster Everything was on schedule until this kind of COVID relapse happened a few months ago. So we're doing what we can, but it's just, it's kind of out of of our control to be honest. But again, you guys are super supportive and we'll get them here as soon as possible. So can't wait for that. Actually working on the app right now, that update will be coming out. The new training there's the combo program is rad. The new flagship pocket monkey two training is rad. The enemy within tactical, I think is a really awesome, wild new take on that kind of tactical vertical we've got going on. And then of course, agility training combined with pocket monkey two, that's uh next level as well. So a lot of awesome training stuff coming for you guys. And then again, we, I guess what I'll, wrap up on is I sent out from the X lab, some research questions yesterday. And thank you. Gosh, you guys, 
I just, let me uh, pull this up because I want to be accurate with numbers, but it was almost like 1,500 people had responded when I looked this morning. Wow. So, okay. So 1,476 responses and there's just five questions. Which products do you own? The vast majority is Monkey 360 and Pocket Monkey, Monkey Bars 2. How often do you use the Monkey app? A lot. You guys are using that thing a lot. I was really stoked to see that because, you know, there, there's not the way the app is built. There's not, I can't like go on this back end and be like, oh man, there's a lot of people using it. It's, it's kind of a mystery to know how, how often it's getting used. So that was really encouraging to see you guys are using that. So super stoked. And then, uh, the last two questions, how interested are you in a heavy strength focused product and how interested in you, how interested are you in combining multiple monkey products into a daily workout program? So that was, let's see, like 70, basically 75%, 70 to 75% answered four or five as wildly interested in both. So appreciate that feedback. Like we tease, there's uh, some big stuff on the way and we're doing uh, a little bit more doing, well, we're investing a little bit more up front. So, or we start to pull the trigger on that. Just want to verify, get a gut check, make sure we're on the right track. And from the responses I'm seeing, it sounds like you guys are stoked on or will be stoked on what we have in mind. So stay tuned for that announcement coming up here. And again, I'm sorry, guys. Sorry I lost the consistency, but back on the mic. I think making this, I think a goal of just a weekly episode would be very executable, even if it's just kind of a training update, business update, whatever. I just, I think it's good to keep the conversation going. It definitely keeps my mind working, and uh, I really appreciate hearing from you guys and everyone that's listening. So share it with your friends. Let's get more folks in the family and we'll all keep getting wilder. So thank you everyone. Stay wild. I'll see you guys out there.